Welcome to this Uvula Audio presentation of The Lone Ranger and the Mystery Ranch by Fran Stryker. Volume 6, Chapter 16, The Blue Silk Vest. Sheriff, drawled the deputy from Texas. I've heard considerable about this here lone ranger that took the notion to call on you last evening at your house. I reckon, replied Sheriff Cook as he watched the poker face of Tex Wilson for a sign of his personal opinion of the lone ranger. I reckon there's plenty you ain't heard, too. Maybe so. As for his being in cahoots with the Night Legion, that's a lot of foolishness. He ain't no more them killers than I am. And, he added emphatically, I darn sure ain't. Walrus tilted his chair back against his favorite wall of the sheriff's office and expectorated at his favorite cuspidor. Dave Sands occupied himself with an intense survey of his close-trimmed fingernails. Tex Wilson had been standing, but now he moved close to the sheriff's desk and sat partly on its edge and swung one foot clear to the floor. He shoved his broad-brimmed hat farther back on his head and spoke softly and slowly. I crave to know just why you gave that masked man the evidence that sent us to the clearing after him yesterday. Sheriff Cook frowned darkly at the young, broad-shouldered deputy. He was not used to being spoken to like this, and he resented it. For the newest of deputies, he said, you're taking a lot on yourself questioning what I do. I come all the way from Texas to corral some of them hooded rats. And Sheriff, I don't know if this masked man around here is the real Lone Ranger or not. Do you? Cook nodded that he did. I seen him riding away on that white stallion. That's all I needed to convince me. It was the morning after the masked rider called on the sheriff, and the four men were meeting in the usual place, the sheriff's office, while they awaited the arrival of Joe Frisbee's body. Men had started out to fetch it back for decent burial, and it seemed the best plan to wait until it came before making any other move. In fact, though all four men were eager to fight the Night Legion, they had no idea where to begin. No one had. The Night Legion couldn't be hunted in any particular place. They seemed to ride from nowhere, strike, ravage, destroy, kill, and then disappear. Walrus started the talk about the Lone Ranger, and Tex Wilson, a trifle suspicious, took the matter up with Sheriff Cook. I'm overlooking your manner, the sheriff told the Texan, for one particular reason. I feel you're as eager to see these killers killed off as I am, and you don't miss a chance to look into anything that don't sound straight to you. Well, that's just what I aim to do, sheriff, replied the other, somewhat milder than before. If you could just be dead sure you've seen the real Lone Ranger and not some galdorned imitation. I am dead sure. Gosh, it's most too much to expect to have him around here. You see, Tex, the lawman went on softly, 
Any darn fool can figure he's doing all that can be done and go ahead with his authority, bullheaded like. It takes something of a man to admit that in spite of his authority, there might be someone that could do a better job than he's doing. It likewise takes a good man to admit he's bucking against something that's too big for him to handle. Maybe I ain't as big a man as I'd like to be, but by darn, I'm big enough to admit the Lone Ranger can be more than all of us put together. That's why I gave him that paper when he wanted it. What's more, he can have anything else I got for the asking. And if he wants it, he can have my badge in office. So there, finished Walrus, punctuating his speech with another bullseye in the spittoon. Miss, and you get to clean it up, growled the sheriff to the old man. This outfit, he continued, this outfit is going to be brought into this office, held for trial, tried, convicted, and hanged. I'll do it, if I have to deputize the whole blame state to do it. He brought his clenched fist down on the desk with a slab that made the inkstand jump, and ink slop over onto the oak top. If the leader of the Night Legion were my own brother, wouldn't matter none. He's got to die. He rose to his feet suddenly and with his heel shoved back his chair. His voice was trembling with the passion of his hatred for the marauders. What's more, I'm dishing up new orders here and now. The army can't help us. They're too busy fighting Indians, so it's up to us. When you see a man in a hood, don't take a chance of trying to fetch him in alive. Shoot him on sight. Walrus was nodding his head vigorously, delighted with his friend's commands. What's more, don't shoot for arms or legs. When you shoot, shoot to kill. That's the talk, applauded Walrus. That's the best way to deal with them skunks, by thunder. Sheriff, you're the best gold-dorn lawman in this state. The best in the country, he corrected. And then he went even further. The best by damned in the whole damn world. The enthusiasm of the old-timer was unbounded. The man that says you ain't can fight it out with me, huh? With that, he glared at Tex and then at the silent Dave Sands as if he defied them to question his statement. Tex Wilson grinned at the fervor in the old man's voice and expression. Then he turned again to face the sheriff. Just wanted to make sure of where you stood, he explained. I sure as thunder hope you don't take no offense at the things I said. It's doggone good to feel dead sure of you, as I do now. He stuck out his hand toward Sheriff Cook. Cook gripped the Texan's hand tightly and nodded. His intended reply was interrupted by Dave Sands. Wagon coming down the road. May likely bring in the remains of old Joe Frisbee in. The four men left the office to see the buckboard, drawn by a pair of greys, approaching ahead of a dense cloud of billowing dust. One of the two men on the seat waved a greeting while the other drew the team up alongside the quartet of lawmen. "'Got the old fellow with us,' the driver said, pointing with his thumb to a blanket-wrapped bundle on the buckboard. "'Good enough,' replied Sheriff Cook. "'We'll see to it that the old critter gets a decent Christian burial.' That's the least we can do for him. He gave the necessary orders to have the body taken care of by some of the townspeople who came up out of curiosity. 
For several minutes, everyone was occupied with final attentions to Joe Frisbee, and no one noticed the approach of the rider who reined up on the fringe of the small crowd. Sally Wickham's blonde hair poked out in rebel curls from beneath the big sombrero she wore. Her flannel shirt was open at the throat, and the sleeves were rolled up above the elbows. Her slender arms were well tanned from outdoor recreation in the east, and her hands were covered by fawn-colored gloves. Her pert nose was shiny from the long ride. All of these details, however, escaped old Walrus, who was the first of the men to see the girl. His mouth hung open as if no words could be found to fit the occasion. He stared wide-eyed at the men's blue vest she'd put over the shirt and the overalls that were many sizes too large for her and had to be rolled up several folds at the bottom. For lack of words, Walrus nudged his friend and pointed. They turned to meet the level gaze of the blue-eyed girl. "'My gosh!' stammered Walrus finally. "'She... she's a girl, and she's wearing men's clothes!' "'What if I am?' snapped Sally in reply. Stop ogling me and tell me where to find the sheriff. I, I ain't doing that, ma'am, faltered the dumbfounded deputy. I was only looking at that get-up you're wearing. That's my business. These clothes are easier to ride in than a divided skirt, and I borrowed them from men at my uncle's ranch. Now, if that satisfies your curiosity, tell me where to find the sheriff. And close your mouth before you catch some flies in it. Sheriff Cook stepped toward the girl and lifted a hand to aid her in dismounting. She saw the star pinned to his vest and understood that he was the man she sought, and accepted his hand to swing from her horse in boyish fashion and dropped lightly to the ground. Dave Sands, looking at Sally Whitcomb, was rewarded with a slight trace of a smile. For the first time, as long as he could remember, he felt jarred and confused. He wanted to speak, but his tongue seemed to cling to the roof of his mouth. He knew he was blushing, and he hated himself for it. "'Better step inside the office,' suggested the sheriff. "'I'm afeard men around here ain't used to seeing.' He paused in time to avoid saying what he'd intended to. "'To seeing handsome girls,' he finished rather lamely. "'And in men's pants,' blurted Walrus. Then he wondered why Dave Sands jabbed him hard in the ribs with an elbow. Guess you must be one of Wickham's nieces that come on the stage, ain't you? Sally told Sheriff that she was and that her name was Sally. Five minutes later, the Sheriff, Sally, and the three deputies were inside the office, with the windows crowded with men trying to see inside, and the girl felt quite at home and at ease. She enjoyed the sensation she created and took special delight in asking Dave Sands direct questions, just to see him squirm and stammer in his efforts to reply. When Sally was helping Sheriff Cook to spell her name, her sister's name, the place they came from, and several other details, Dave found the chance to whisper to Tex Wilson, I never know they grow that sort of girls except in the picture magazines we see once in a while. Your type of girl, all right agreed Tex Wilson. "'Don't you like her style?' asked Dave in genuine surprise. "'Sure, I like her well enough, but I had a darn sight sooner fall for a girl that's more quiet and, well, more dignified.' Dave bristled at this bit. "'Don't you say nothing against Miss Sally?' Tex chuckled softly to end the bit of conversation. 
He hoped the girl would care something for his friend. There was no doubt that as far as Dave was concerned, it was already a case of love. Meanwhile, with the two young deputies talking to each other, and Walrus still somewhat awestruck at beauty and charm in a place like Showdown, Sally told Sheriff Cook why she had come to town. She explained the calling of the ranch a hoodoo ranch by a man in Gila Gap. She told of her uncle's strange manner of receiving her and her sister, and of the groans heard during the first night on the ranch. The sheriff was a sympathetic listener. Sally found it increasingly easy to confide in him, and when she learned that the masked man who escorted her and Marge to the ranch was well thought of by the sheriff, she was convinced that Cook was just as fair-minded and honest as his stern face indicated. His opinion of the Lone Ranger paralleled that of Sally and her sister. What I really wanted to come here for was to tell you about the map. What map? inquired Sheriff Cook. Sally told him, explaining how the part owned by the girls was concealed and how she'd withheld it from Uncle Grant. She told how the other half was owned by Joe Frisbee until the Night Legion killer stole it. That explains why Joe was killed, decided the sheriff. That's what the masked man, you called him the Lone Ranger? That's what he said. You made a mistake, though, in mistrusting your uncle, Miss Sally. Grant Whitcomb is as square a man as there is to be found any place. I'd vouch for him under all conditions. I'll admit he's a peculiar acting critter, and he sometimes seems downright bitter about life in general. But he's on the level. I still think he had no business keeping us locked in the house and guarded by men with guns. If he did, ma'am, it's for your own good that he done it. Now get this straight, and remember, I'm not talking just to cause you girls a pack of worry. This night legion has already got more cash than they can ever spend. They don't rob and kill and plunder just to get cash. They do it for the love of it. Cook paused to let his warning register before he continued. Them snakes would just as soon kill a poor man as a rich one, and they'd likely prefer killing a couple of girls like you than men. Now, ma'am, get back to the ranch. I'll send a couple of men to see you there, safe and sound. I'll go, volunteered Dave Sands with alacrity. Sheriff Cook's eyes twinkled slightly, and he nodded acceptance of the eagerly made offer. Now get back there and tell your sister to turn that map over to your uncle and take orders from him. There ain't but a few men in the world I'm dead certain are on the level, outside the ones in this office. One of them is a lone ranger, and the other is your Uncle Grant. Well... All right, then. Sally was loath to believe the best of Uncle Grant, despite the sheriff's recommendations. If she knew that at that very moment her sister was riding with the strange-acting man as a result of a direct lie. But she didn't know. Perhaps if Sheriff Cook had known that early that same morning Grant Whitcomb had gone to Marge and told her that Sally was in trouble and needed her badly, while in truth Sally was not in trouble and did not need her sister, he, too, might have thought a long time before advising the blonde girl in the blue vest with glass buttons to return to the ranch and trust Grant Whitcomb implicitly. I... well, I suppose there's nothing for me to do but go back there, then, finally admitted Sally. You go back there and tell your uncle that we're doing all we can to get a lead on the Night Legion. Tell him we've got the Lone Ranger on our side. I'll bet he's heard of the Lone Ranger, even if he don't get far from his ranch. Then a door at the rear of the office suddenly opened. 
and a tall man whose face was concealed by a black mask entered the room with one hand near the ivory handle of a heavy gun. Three of the lawmen reached for guns, but the sharp voice of Sheriff Cook halted the gesture. Hold it, boys! Sally turned quickly and saw the mask and burst out in almost a shout. The Lone Ranger! Tonto rode fast to bring me the news that has been flying around town. The masked man's voice was slightly breathless from hard riding. He said there was a girl here, wearing a blue silk vest. And overalls, supplied old walrus. A vest with fancy glass buttons. He strode directly to the girl's side and grabbed a handful of the vest she wore unbuttoned. What? What's the matter with this vest? Here. Here's where a button is torn off. He stuck his long, lean fingers in a pocket of his shirt and drew out a glass button with a fancy trimming around the edges. This is the button we found in the woods. It matches the button on that vest. There was a dramatic pause following the announcement. For a time, none of the men grasped the full importance of the masked man's words. Where in the woods did you find that button? inquired Tex Wilson. Ignoring the question, the masked man dropped a verbal bombshell in the office. The vest was worn by one of the men who killed Joe Frisbee. Where did you get that vest, ma'am? Chapter 17 The Law Steps In You know perfectly well how much trouble I had riding to Uncle Grant's place with my own clothes. They weren't suited at all for riding. Lone Ranger nodded. The vest, he prompted, trying to reach the point quickly. I'm telling you about the vest. Sally wouldn't be hurried in her recital of details. I sneaked out of the house at daybreak because I wanted to get to town as soon as possible and had to slip away from the guards to do it. I went to the saddle shed to get a saddle for one of the horses and found some clothing hanging up on the wall on pegs. This vest was way too big for me but it was shorter than my jacket, so I left the jacket there and wore the vest. The same with... She paused and glanced at the overalls, then glanced somewhat defiantly at the steely gray eyes that watched her from behind the slits in the mask. Do you know whose vest it is? No. It must belong to one of the cowboys at Uncle Grant's place. Grant Wickham will shoot him down if he suspects he's lined up with the Night Legion, observed the sheriff. I wonder if he will, murmured the masked man. It was mostly luck that made it impossible for him to be there at all. His original plans to ride that morning for the Whitcomb Ranch were changed when he and Tonto met Sally Whitcomb riding in the opposite direction. The girl hadn't seen the two, but she passed within a hundred feet of the rocks behind which they crouched while she went by. Tonto followed her to town and mingled with the townsmen when the buckboard brought Joe Frisbee's body in. Then, when the Indian got a close-up view of Sally, he rushed back to where the masked man waited. The Lone Ranger lost no time in getting to the office of the sheriff to inspect the blue silk vest. If this vest belongs to one of the Night Legion, then I'd certainly like to find the owner. Sally told the Lone Ranger, in as few words as possible, the things she had already told in detail to the sheriff. Then Dave Sand stepped forward. Miss Sally, he began slowly, from the things that have come up, looks like the ranch ain't as safe as we thought it might be. If the owner of that vest had missed it, 
and thinks you might be able to tell whose it was. He'll likely try to dry Gulch on the way back. Now, if you'd stay here in town, the rest of us could head for the ranch and... Not on your life, declared the vivacious girl. I'm going along with all of you and see the fun. Ain't gonna be no fun, ma'am, argued Dave. Whatever it is, then, I'm going with you. My sister is there, you know. But your sister ain't wearing a vest that might belong to one of the killers, interposed Tex Wilson. Well, I'm going just the same. The manner in which Sally Whitcomb made her decision left no room for argument. And, what's more, you might lend me a gun and show me how to use it so I can take part in gunplay. Gosh, breathed Dave Sands. What a girl. After all, if it wasn't for me wearing this vest, you'd never have had a clue. Why should you men go and risk your lives without letting me share the risk? I've decided to go with you, so that part is settled. Now don't send a girl among a group of hard men, any one of whom might be a member of the Night Legion, without a weapon to defend yourself with. She looked archly at Dave Sands. You wouldn't let me go there defenseless, would you? Dave? She softened her voice and looked at the young deputy in a way that did things to him. You ain't a-going, ma'am, he muttered. What's that? The others were watching the discussion, which seemed to have centered on Dave and Sally. I, I said you wasn't going. Dave spoke more firmly than before. Tain't good sense to let a kid like you risk your life. Kid? cried Sally. I like that. You ain't going, and that settles it. Dave seemed to have made up his mind quite definitely on the subject. You ain't going to that ranch until we get there and look around some. Well, you just try and stop me, challenged the girl. Yes, um. Dave took a half step forward and hesitated as the slender girl stood firm. I reckon I'll, I'll have to do that very thing. He took another step and grabbed Sally around the waist, then picked her up off the ground. She squealed and kicked and squirmed and struggled. She tried to slap the stalwart deputy in the face. She tried to pinch his muscled arm, and knocking off his hat, she gripped his dark hair in both hands and pulled with all her strength. But nothing stopped Dave Sands. He carried her bodily through the small barred door at the end of the sheriff's office. You can't do this, you big bully! screamed Sally. What's the matter with the rest of you men? Won't any of you help me? She appealed to the others collectively and then individually, but none of the others made a move to interfere with Dave Sands' plan to lock her in the prison. You can't jail me up. I'm not a criminal. I'll... She ended in a grunt as Dave Sands dropped her on the bunk. Then she leapt to her feet and raced for the door, just as the deputy slammed it in her face and locked it. There he said, wiping his perspiring face with his bandana. I reckon that'll keep you safe for a time. I don't aim to let no killers get at my girl. Sally was desperately angry. She never before had been shown so little consideration. Used to having her way with men, she found a new type of people in the West, a type upon which her usual methods of persuasion had little effect. Your girl, she sputtered in rage, of all the barefaced nerve, of all the overgrown, mean, cruel bullies, you take the prize. I'd sooner die than be your girl. You you pick on defenseless women. Defenseless? 
chuckled Walrus. Defenseless, my eye. He looked at Dave Sand's perspiring face, the red welts on his cheek where Sally's open hand had landed with a hard slap, the tousled hair that fell over the deputy's forehead. That gal has what I'd call a doggone good defense. Little Ranger agreed to Sheriff Cook's suggestion that he travel with them to Grant Wickham's place. If we start now, we could be there in time to give us a chance to look around in daylight. Very well, responded the masked man. What about your Indian friend? Tonto will remain here in town. Sally Wickham will be held here, and it's possible that someone might make an attempt to kill her. I feel that she is much safer if my friend is close at hand. This was agreeable to Sheriff Cook, so the masked man went to the rear door of the building and wrote a few hasty words on a page, tore from a small notebook he carried, and tucked the message into a small crack between the door casing and the wall of the building. Tonto, he knew, would be watching from a distance and would read the note and obey the commands. When he returned, the Lone Ranger found Sally Wickham very much subdued. Her anger seemed to have died down to be replaced by tears. Whether the girl was really crying or putting on an act, he couldn't decide. But he saw Dave Sands squirming uncomfortably, feeling like a criminal because of the way he'd handled the slight girl with the curly blonde hair. Sally sobbed. Dave! When the deputy sheriff looked at her, she motioned for him to come nearer to the bar door of the cell. I want to speak to you, she whimpered. Yes, am you're just cruel, Sally sobbed. Oh, gosh, Miss Sally, I hated like blazes to have to put you in there. But it's for your own good. I, I don't want you being shot to death. No more than your Uncle Grant does. But when I was held a prisoner all day yesterday, I wasn't even left alone. I had March, my sister, to keep me company. I don't want to stay here all alone. But you're going to be watched, Miss Sally. That Indian Tonto is going to see to that. But, but can't you stay? You don't have to ride to the ranch with the others, do you? Dave would have given a lot to be able to remain with the attractive girl. He was head over heels in love with her already, and he'd known her only in half an hour. He glanced at Sheriff Cook inquiringly. Cook shook his head. You're going with us. That girl's aiming to be left alone with you, and ten minutes after we're gone, she'll have you unlocking that door, and she'll be on her way to the ranch. Dave looked at Sally and gestured to show the hopelessness of trying to remain behind when the others left. In a few moments, Sally was alone in the building. She heard the men mount horses and ride away. Then she half grinned to herself and said, Dave is mighty nice, and I think he likes me. I hope nothing happens to him. It would take at least two hours of steady loping to reach Grant Wickham's ranch, so the five men settled down on their saddles for the trip. Lone Ranger rode beside the sheriff, making plans for a systematic investigation of the place when they arrived. He told about the printing scene of the clearing, and Cook suggested that while he asked routine questions of Grant Whitcomb, the Lone Ranger could move about the saddle shed and hunt for a print to match the one of the boss. You think you'll be able to recognize it? The sheriff inquired. Lone Ranger nodded. I wouldn't forget that print if it took ten years to find another like it.
For a time, they rode in silence with Tex, Walrus, and Dave Sands bringing up the rear. I don't know what we'll say about that mask of yours, said Sheriff Cook finally. I'm not going to remove it. That's all right with me, partner. But what sort of explanation are we going to give Grant Whitcomb? Why give him an explanation? Right now, with the Night Legion raising cane around this part of the country, we can make the sort to take a masked man without asking questions. Why? Well, in the first place, he may not have heard of the Lone Ranger. If I tell him you're the Lone Ranger, you mightn't tell him a blame thing. If he ain't heard of you, he'll wonder why you travel with lawmen and keep your face covered. Suppose we wait until we see him. When he asks questions, I'll answer them. All right. Well, you answer them. After leaving Showdown, the riders headed due east for a time, following the stage trail. They paused when they came to the scene of the shooting of the deputies and guard and driver. Dismounting, the Lone Ranger scrutinized the ground with infinite attention to detail, but it was so beaten down that no one footprint could be made out clearly. He saw that a lot of men had been there, but found no trace of the peculiar boot whose print was stamped indelibly in his mind. The horses took advantage of the pause to drink from a small brook that ran nearby, and the party continued on its way. They cut northeast to meet the trail over which the Lone Ranger and Tonto rode with the Whitcomb sisters, and then followed this trail due north toward the Whitcomb Ranch. Tex Wilson and Old Walrus were highly amused by the manner of Dave Sands throughout the ride. The dark-haired deputy was silent for the most part, but when he spoke, it was invariably to make some comment on Sally. I reckon that it must be true that opposites attract, observed the blonde Tex Wilson. Now me, I ain't nothing to say against the girl, but I just don't cotton much to light-haired women. If she just had a sister... She does have a sister, said Dave emphatically. I mean one with dark hair. I like a quiet sort of girl. And if I could find me one with dark hair and a handsome face, well then, I'd be downright interested. Walrus shifted his tobacco to the other cheek and expectorated at a clump of greasewood. As for me, he stated flatly, I don't care for her face or the color of her hair. You just give me a woman that can cook. That'll make me happy. Chapter 18 In the Hands of the Killers Marge had no thought that her uncle lied when he told her Sally was in dire distress and needed her. Without a moment's hesitation, she mounted the horse that was saddled and ready for her at the corral and rode with Grant Wickham and the other men. It wasn't until a half an hour after they started that she began to feel uneasy. The country was becoming steadily more desolate and broken. Rank weeds and other vegetation grew knee-high over most of the hilly land as far as the eye could see, and flies and insects of a dozen sorts buzzed angrily about the riders' heads and faces. The horses, too, were bothered by the biting varieties. To all her questions, Grant Whitcomb gave Marge unsatisfactory replies. Her apprehension increased. It didn't seem possible that Sally would have ridden alone as far as this. If she had done so, how could Grant Wickham have received word of any difficulty she might have met as soon as he did? 
They rode for another hour, and by that time Marge was really frightened. Sally couldn't possibly have covered that distance in the time that she'd left the house. Though Marge had no idea what time Sally had left, she felt it couldn't have been much before daybreak. It was impossible for her to have ridden to this godforsaken-looking country due west of the ranch. No sign of any life, either human or animal, had been seen since leaving the rambling ranch house. The men who followed behind Marge and Grant Whitcomb spoke, but rarely, and then in terse, short-clipped monosyllables. Marge, of course, didn't know the truth. Whitcomb saw Sally when she left the house at dawn. He seized upon her escape as an excuse to get the dark-haired girl to ride with him on this mysterious mission. Presently, Grant Wickham broke a lengthy silence. I ain't said no more about the map since the other night. No, replied the girl. You haven't. Ain't found it yet, have you? He looked at Marge sharply. She could almost feel the penetration of his gaze. Sally, she hesitated. My, my sister told you it was misplaced in our luggage. But that wasn't true. What do you mean? Natacha went through everything you brought with you. She had no right to do that, said Marge, somewhat hotly. Ignoring the remark, the heavyset man went on. That map wasn't in your luggage, so you must have hidden it. So what about it? What about it? It's our map, isn't it? Haven't we the right to do what we please with it? She was really surprised at herself. Her justifiable anger at her uncle's manner must have given her courage to speak up in such a way. Maybe, said the big man slowly. You don't trust your uncle. Well, maybe I don't. Marge paused and then continued. Have you shown me any reason to trust you? You won't even give me a truthful answer about my sister. What do you want to know about her? What happened to her? Where is she? Can't tell you for sure. Are we honestly going where she is? The reply was just what Marge suspected for some time. But Wickham's frank admission shocked her. No, we ain't. Then, then where are we going? Why have you brought me on this ride? And what has happened to my sister? Lady, the bald-headed man responded, you're going to learn considerable in the next few minutes. We stop the horses right here. He drew back on the reins and Marge did likewise. There seemed little she could do. The men behind rode up beside them, and the one with the scar on his face looked even more sinister than before. They were at the crest of a low hill. Far beyond them, Marge could see the edge of a woods that looked cool and inviting after the hot, dusty ride. The sun was straight overhead, so it must have been just about noon. The long ride without a breakfast, the hot sun, and the nervous strain of the past hour made Marge weak and slightly faint, and she welcomed the pause, despite the fact that grim details seemed about to be presented. Boss, growled the man with the scar, I'm still worried about my vis-and-vest. Stop worrying about it, snarled Grant Wickham in a tone that Marge had never heard him use before. But there's cause to worry. I lost one of them fancy buttons off of it, and I don't know where I lost it. 
If it's found, it might serve as a clue. You mean to tell me, almost thundered Grant Whitcomb, that you left a loose end that can be followed? His hand jumped toward the heavy gun he wore. No, no, assured Scar hastily. I ain't left no loose ends. It ain't likely that button will ever be found, and if it is, it ain't likely to be found where it'll cause any trouble. We'll see about that later, if I find you left any loose ends, though. The leader left his threat unfinished, but Scar fully understood the grim meaning that the words implied. I wonder if that girl found the vest and wore it when she went to showdown, muttered the scar-faced man. Is that where my sister went? asked the dark-haired girl quickly. What if it is? barked her uncle. A peculiar, evil grin broke the corners of his small mouth. He slipped one foot from the stirrup and swung his short leg over the saddle, turning partly to the side and leading his weight on his elbow. Marge, he said slowly, there is a lot you'd like to know, ain't there? Marge nodded, somewhat faint and confused by everything. Her uncle's sudden changes of manner baffled her. Well, that sort of makes us even. There's a lot you want to know, and there's a lot likewise that I want to know. And I aim to find out the things I want to know before the day is out. And maybe you'll do the same. I'm not going another inch until you tell me about my sister. Now that sort of acting won't get you nowhere. Right over yonder at the edge of the woods is where we're going. I'm going back to the ranch, declared the girl with fire in her voice that was more like Sally. She dragged on the reins to swing her horse, but Scar reached out with his huge hand and grabbed the reins. Not so fast, he muttered. Let go of my bridle. You're going with us, said Grant Whitcomb. I fetched these boys along to make sure of it. He spoke sharply to Scar. The rest of the boys will be coming to meet us, and this is about as far as I hanker to go with my face showing. None of the others know who the boss is. The Scar-faced man nodded. I'll hang on to the girl's hoss till you're ready, boss. The events of the next moment made Marge's senses reel giddily. She saw her uncle draw a black hood from beneath his shirt. He removed his hat and slipped the weird device over his bald head. It fell in loose folds on his shoulders, but it fit snugly on top of his head. He put the sombrero on over the hood, and his sharp, beady eyes studied the girl through the slits in the black cloth. Marge Wickham's face went chalk white. She was vaguely aware that Scar and the other men had drawn their guns and sat holding them easily but ready for instant use. The countless questions that had passed through Marge's mind since her arrival at the ranch were answered. The explanation for Grant Wickham's manner, his interest in her part of the map, the strange room with the trap door in the floor, sounds in the night, the death of Joe Frisbee, all were explained in the action of Grant Wickham in covering his head with that sinister-looking hood. Her uncle was the hooded leader of the dread Night Legion, a man wanted for countless crimes, but who left no loose ends. No loose ends. 
if he let the girl live after revealing his connection to her, he would leave a loose end, a person who could identify him for what he was. What chance had she to return from this route alive? What chance had Sally after the men returned to the ranch? Her brain spun crazily as the full danger of her position suddenly became evident. An endless dizzy sequence of horrible images flashed through her mind. The men who'd been murdered, the guard and the driver of the stage, the tales of torture she'd been told, and above all, her own grim peril. Her own letters told Grant Whitcomb that Joe Frisbee had half the map and explained the value of the bit of paper. It had been those letters which sent the hooded legion to kill Joe Frisbee and secure his map. Before he died, old Joe talked to the Lone Ranger, but the Lone Ranger, though Marge didn't know it, was at that moment in the sheriff's office at Showdown, talking to her sister Sally. The Lone Ranger, the one man who might be able to give aid, was countless miles away. The sharp voice of the man behind the black hood broke through her racing thoughts. Well, he snapped, changing his voice to disguise it. Now you know what I am. What are you going to do about it? Marge couldn't reply. Stark terror seized her. She reeled a moment and then fell to one side and would have dropped to the ground if Scar hadn't caught her. He supported her in the saddle while he asked, Now what do we do with her? She's fainted. Carry her if you have to. We ain't much farther to go now. The rest of the boys will be already waiting at the cave, just beyond the edge of the woods. Flint's cave is the meeting place, eh? The Black Hood bobbed as the leader nodded. Think this one's got the map, or has the tow-headed one got it? I don't know, but we got ways to find out. Wait till we get her to the cave. Come on. Grant Wickham jabbed his horse's flanks with big growls and moved ahead. Supporting Marge on her horse between them, the other men followed in silence, both grinning slightly at what they fancied might be an amusing bit of entertainment when they reached Flynn's cave. Marge regained consciousness in a few minutes and thought at first she was waking from some fearsome nightmare that featured specters with black hoods on their heads. She was at first amused at the ridiculous story of her dream. It was incredible that her Uncle Grant could be the leader of the hooded men. Then the jouncing of her horse cleared the remaining fog away from her mind, and she saw the ugly men who held her in the saddle. And slightly ahead she saw the familiar broad back of Grant Whitcomb. She saw the hood and realized that this was not a dream, but grim reality. She must, she realized, keep her wits about her, if there were to be any hope for life. For a time she remained limp. She let the men think she was still unconscious, to have time to think and adapt herself as far as possible to the situation at hand. The outlaws wanted her part of the map. She was certain of this. She could feel it in the toe of her boot. They had already indicated that they didn't know whether she or her sister had the bit of paper on their person. As long as they weren't sure where the map was, they might keep her alive. But she knew that once they had the map in their possession, there would be no point in keeping her alive. It would be too much of a hazard to let her live, because she could tell the name of the leader. Sally's life would depend upon her. If the men were made to think her sister had the map, 
they'd lose no time in fetching Sally to this awful place of desolation. She had to think. She had to plan carefully. She must not for a single moment let the men think Sally had the map, and yet she mustn't let them get it from her. Perhaps she might be able to send them on a wild goose chase to some place near the ranch. At least she'd be given a reprieve till the men sent to investigate came back empty-handed. And taking stock of the situation, she thought once more of the Lone Ranger. There was no reason to suppose he knew of her peril. After all, it had been the masked man who brought her to her uncle's place. Yet she couldn't bring herself to believe he was in league with the Night Legion. The same sixth sense that made her doubt her uncle from the time she first saw him made her feel that the Lone Ranger was a friend upon whom she might count. But the Lone Ranger couldn't know of Wickham's connection. She risked opening her eyes a bit to look ahead. With a start, she saw the hooded man gazing straight at her. Awake, eh? he growled. Marge saw that further feigning of unconsciousness was out of the question, so she gathered her strength to sit erect. Yes, she replied to the man's questions. I'm awake. It was hardly necessary to admit that. Grant Wickham had dropped back until he rode beside the others, and motioning to Scar to ride ahead, he moved close alongside Marge's paint horse. Less than a hundred yards ahead, at the edge of the woods, Marge saw a group of horses clustered at the base of a cliff that seemed about twenty-five feet in height. "'You think a lot of your sister, don't you?' asked the hooded man. Marge nodded silently. "'Then I'll make a deal with you. You see, none of my men know who I am, except these two who rode with us. Now you know. If you so much as make a peep to tell the others who I am, then you'll be signing the death warrant of your sister.' At least Sally was still unharmed. This was some comfort to the trembling girl. Remember that when we get inside the cave. There was no promise of life for her, but this would be more than Marge could hope for. The ground dipped down as the horses neared the wall, which was much higher than it appeared from the level stretch behind them. Marge saw the opening of the cave some eight feet in height. She had a fleeting notion to snatch the rain suddenly and make a break for her life, but she immediately discarded this as hopeless. Her own strength was gone, and the men with her seemed as fresh as when the ride had started. Her uncle was close to one side, and the other man still gripped her arm on the other. There was no escape for her. Scar, riding ahead, guided his horse inside the blackness of the cave, and then, three abreast, with Marge Whitcomb in the center, the others followed dense darkness and enveloped the girl like a shroud.